commentator on the Fox Morning Show. He lives in San Diego with his wife and two kids, Mike Foster. I like your style too. All right, good morning. I, uh, I have heard a lot about you guys just through uh, Phil and Tammy and Josh. I'm put that there. Um, I had no idea. You, you know, picture things in your mind of what this church was and is and sort of the vibe of it. And Phil and Tammy, they, they did a great job describing you guys, but I don't think they, they caught really what God is doing here. And it's so, such an honor for me to be with you and to be a part of this. And I'm just, I walked in, I'm just like, this is amazing, amazing worship. You just feel the vibe, the love. You can feel God just moving in this church. And so thanks for letting me be with you uh, this morning. I, uh, I, I'm, lu- I'm a lucky guy because I get to do a lot of fun things uh, during my typical work week. I lead an organization called People of the Second Chance. And uh, we're a nonprofit ministry just amplifying hope and helping people rescue their stories after a difficult season. And we've had this year just the opportunity to impact over 60,000 different lives and stories with the message of radical grace and second chance. Uh, We work in prisons all across America and are just reminding people that no matter what your story looks like, no matter how complicated it is and how many struggles you've had, what kind of storms you've been through, no matter what your past looks like, that there's a second chance waiting you. And it's, it comes in the form of, of God's radical grace and a relationship with Jesus. And I, I like to think of what we do, just kind of summarize our ministry. We like to think of ourselves like we're this, this grace-flavored snow cone on a hot, judgmental day. And, and just wanting to refresh people's lives and to come alongside them and be a cheerleader and say, you know what, you may not believe in yourself, but, but we believe in you and God believes in you. So let's go and let's uh, be a part of just making the world a better place. So this morning I want to talk about this. I, yeah, we can cl- applaud that. All right. <laughs> Yay. Um, so this morning I want to talk about uh, an idea, really kind of a core idea to who we are, and that's our identity. And how we can live from this place of who God created us to be. And who, who we, we just saw this beautiful little baby on stage. Like God created that precious little life. And he's created all the other precious lives in this room. And, and living from the, our core identity is such a key part of our Christian walk. And, I, and the Bible is very clear in terms of what is our identity and who we are. The Bible says two things very clearly. Number one, it says that we're made in the image of God. And number two, it says that if we are in Christ, that we are his beloved. And those are two very true things about you. And yet I think a lot of times in our lives, we, we live from different identities and we, we live from things that may be true about us, but not the truest thing about us. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe you wear the title of mom or dad or parent, or maybe you're an entrepreneur. You you have the identity of um, an introvert or an extrovert. I mean, all these things are true about you, but they're not the truest thing about you. And so often with our life and our stories and many of the struggles that we, we face in our life, we get off the path of living from that core, living from that that place of trueness. 
A lot of times it looks sort of like this. I have a slide. I want to show you what kind of happens in our lives. And here's the problem is that when God created you, you're, you're sort of that, that black circle in the center. That's you. That's the little, little baby you, right? And he, he designed everything about you, your, your personality, the, your dimples, your, your sense of humor, like all of that, like God just put into you. And that's you at the core. But then what happens? Well, life happens. And so we have sort of the, our pains and hurts that cover up our true you. And then what happens, we, we take these pains and we, these hurts, and what do we do? We, we cover them with some type of personality, some sort of, well, maybe we're, we, we become very successful, and so nobody will see our pains and hurts, but we also don't see the true you. Or maybe we try to be perfect or, or, or live out some, we try to be super mom, and we got this personality that, that we want the world to see, so they don't see, number one, our pains and hurts, but also they don't see the true you. And that's the problem. And so when we, when we talk about identity and living from this place of who God created us to be, it's about getting back to that core, that, that, that original intent of who you are. A lot of us uh, are sort of like this. I, I, I divide people into two different categories in terms of cell phone usage. There, there is one category of people that love to put a cell phone case on their cell phone as sort of a representation of their personality or their favorite football team or their, their love of Hello Kitty or whatever it might be, they, they, they put a case on their cell phone. How many of you are case people? You put a case on your cell phone. Yes. Okay. Great. All right. How many of you fall into this other category? I call these people the en natural where they don't put a case. They, they leave their cell phone just like it is. How many of you fall in that category? All right, look around. These are all the risk takers. I hope you guys have insurance policies on your phones, right? But when Steve Jobs was designing my little iPhone here, he, he did not imagine a Hello Kitty case around this thing. He did not imagine, you know, me kind of putting other stuff on it. Like his design team, his original plan was for this. Let me give you a version. You could do a, a white version or a black version, but that was it. I mean, it looked like this. A lot of times we, we wrap our, our cell phones just like we wrap our lives in all, these different, all this different stuff that God never intended. By the way, I was, I was online and I found kind of some funny cell phone cases that I wanted to show you. These were actually voted the worst cell phone cases ever made. I want to show you this first one. This is the donut <laughs> iPhone case. If you're putting this on your, your cell phone, you really love donuts. Um, or how about this case? This is a horrible case and a horrible idea. Next slide. The, I don't know what that is. I'm not sure why you would put your iPhone right next to your high-heeled shoes. I, mean, I just think this is a horrible idea. How about this one? This, my friends, is a little creepy. Don't you think? It's like... I need to hold somebody's hand while I'm talking on the phone. And this is one of my favorites here, this iPhone case. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, put your fingers in somebody's nose and talk on the phone. It's, it's a beautiful concept. Actually, these, these are horrible concepts, horrible ideas. Just as it's a horrible idea to try to put all this different stuff onto our life, all these different identities onto God's original intent, original design of who you were. We don't need to put donut cases on our lives. 
We don't need to put success on our lives. We don't need to put uh, accolades or resumes or, or, or be super mom. We can just be us at the core. The big idea of this morning, just if you remember one thing about kind of our identity and who we are, it's simply this, that whatever you believe about yourself on the inside is what will manifest itself on the outside. So your identity is very powerful, more so than you probably even imagine. And how you see yourself and the identity that you most identify yourself with will impact how you live, your relationships, your happiness, your joy. It's core to who you are. The other thing that's really important for us to remember that, that who we say we are is never more important than who God says we are. And living from that place, from that identity, is what's most important. If you have your Bibles, I want to look at Genesis uh, chapter 1. And I want to take us back to the very beginning, because that, that's a, always a good place to, to go in when we're talking about who we are as people. And in Genesis 1, we have the creation story. And God's creating the earth and the heavens and the animals and the sea. And we've got this whole creation thing happening. And in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. I think this is a really important piece in terms of, you know, we're up to this point when God was doing creation, he, he was not referring to the entire Godhead. And yet he says right here, Let us, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make them human beings in our image. He didn't say that when he was making a cow. He didn't say that when he was creating the earth. He said, let us. And I think that's really key that that makes human beings special in creation. It says, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God gave us this mission, a purpose. Not only are we unique and created in, in his image, but, but he's given us the work of creation care, of reigning over the animals. I love, uh, I love that little verse at the end uh, about uh, the, the small animals that scurry along the, the ground. We're supposed to reign over these small animals. Well, I have a, a dog at my house named Napoleon, and he's like this little six-pound Pomeranian, fluffy Pomeranian. And I, I got to be honest with you, I do not reign over this small animal that scurries along the ground. He does not listen to me at all. I tell him to sit. He runs away. Tell him to bark. He doesn't bark. I mean, and I've read this verse to him. I said, Napoleon, you are being disobedient to God's word. He doesn't care. Um, But that's my problem. We're working it out. But but we're, we're supposed to reign over all of creation. Verse 27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them. I think this is really important because sometimes we get uh, some crazy religious theological ideas about men and women. And sometimes there, there's definitely some cults out there that believe this. And sometimes even weird, extreme religious views that say that only men are made in the image of God, that only men bear the image of God. And that is completely contradictory to the scripture. It says that men and women, all genders, all races, all creeds, all languages, whether you're the most 
highly trained, Harvard uh, educated physician, all the way to the guy living on Skid Row. Every single person is created in the image of God, whether you like it or not. And, and just as the Bible never says that God is a man, doesn't say that, uh, it never says that only men bear God's image. It's really key. And so when people start talking about like men only bear the image of God or only men have the glory of God, that's just complete falseness and against scriptures. Going, I want to have you flip over to Psalm 8. And Psalm 8, we're going to look at verse 3. And here's David uh, writing in Psalm 8, and he's sort of recapturing this, this uh, creation story in verse 3. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. He asks a question. He asks a very important question, a question maybe that we ask our, ourselves. He says, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? See, David is asking a question I think we ask ourselves a lot in our, our typical week. It's like, God, I see my brokenness. I see my sin. I see my struggle. I see all these other things that, that say like, what, God, why do you even care about me? David answers his own question. He says, in verse 5, he says, You have made them, us, human beings, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. See, whether you like it or not, no matter how you feel about yourself, no matter what you think about yourself, no matter your brokenness, your sin, or your struggles, that God has crowned you with glory and and honor. He says in verse 6, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the seas, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The truest thing about you is that you are made in the image of God. That's what God's word says. So another thing I want to I talk about is just give you kind of three different thoughts in terms of what it looks like to live in the truest you. And, and living in the truest you means, number one, that you can be fully you. That you can be fully you. And isn't that a, a, a good thing to know? Because I, I know in my own life, I get so exhausted trying to be what everybody else wants me to be. Can you relate to that? Do you know what that feels like? It's like maybe you're on, on Facebook and you're going, man, that, that's just, they're having an amazing life, or oh, she's such a, a great parent, and look at her kids are, are succeeding, or oh, look at that guy, he's, he's having five weeks in, in Hawaii, like that's amazing, I wish I could be like that. And we have all this pressure, all this societal pressure to be certain people, and, and social media just sort of intensifies that, right? I mean, nobody, nobody feels better about themselves after spending an hour on Facebook, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. But the reality is that we, we don't have to be other people. You know, your parents may have put a lot of expectations on you and your career and what you're supposed to be when you grow up. You don't have to, I mean, it's nice to have their opinion, but you, according to the Bible, you can just be fully, you can be who God made you to be. I love what St. Catherine of Siena says. She says, be who God made you to be and you will set the world on fire. You will set the world on fire. But when you, you got to live from that place. And I love what Henry Nouwen, a great writer, says. He from, says, from the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved, we are faced with the call to become who we are. So are you becoming who you are? 
Are you trying to become what other people want you to be? It's a good question to think about. And, and the other thing for us in, in terms of our life and, and who we are is this idea of, of being God's beloved and, and being loved by him and living from that, that truth is so important. And you know what's really interesting when we think about this idea of our identity is that they, they've done a, a study recently where they asked church people, Christians, they, they asked them, what, what type of feelings do you think God has for you? You know, when God, God thinks about you, when you come to his mind, what do you think, come, what's the fe- overwhelming feeling that he feels towards you? And you know what was interesting in this study? That a large majority of Christians said, when God thinks about me, the feeling that he feels is not love, is not pride, is not joy, but a large majority of Christians says that when God thinks about me, the feeling that he feels is disappointment. And isn't that sad? Isn't that tragic? When God is saying, I love you, I I believe in you, I am on your side, I think you're wonderful, I have crowned you with glory and honor, and yet we walk around thinking, God is disappointed in me. That is sad. And we gotta change that and and live from a different place. We gotta live from the place where where we know that we are loved, that we know that, that God is on our side, that God is proud of us, that God created us. Think of the, the passage in, in Matthew where, where Jesus is being baptized. You probably remember, it's in Matthew 3. Jesus has come to the Jordan River, and there's a crowd of people, and John the Baptist is there, and he's baptizing people. And Jesus steps down into the water and, and you know, gets baptized. John, you know, throws him under the wall, pulls him back up, and he's soaking wet. His hair is all wet, and he's standing there in the Jordan. And then what? A loud voice, right? Says what? In Matthew 3, 16, says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Is that an amazing blessing? To have the Father, like, in front of all these people in this moment, to just to bless Jesus, to, to declare that over him. Such a powerful statement. And you know what, what's really interesting about this, this scripture and, and this statement is that looking at, at the world's view of what is successful and why a dad would be pleased and, and why someone would love their son, you know what was interesting is that Jesus up to this point hadn't done anything remarkable. He didn't have the miracles happening. He didn't have the large crowds. He hadn't really started the big ministry. But yet, the father is putting the blessing on Jesus, saying, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. It just is. It's not about what he does or what he's going to do. It just is in that moment and forever. And the same thing that, that the father's blessing blesses over Jesus, he's blessing over you and I. He's saying, this is, this is Mark and Mary and, and Johnny and, and, and Kim. And, and this, these are my kids whom I love. With them, I am well pleased. And we live under that Father's blessing. Our lives look so different versus thinking that God is in a constant state of disappointment about us. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With him and her, I am well pleased. You know, so often in our lives in terms of our identities, I know this is true for both men and women, 
is that, that because of our, our earthly stories and because of our earthly fathers, many of us grew up in families and with, with uh, dads who never blessed us, who never sort of encouraged us, dads who never said, um, I'm pleased with you, you're doing a great job. And when we don't get that, that father's blessing, so often we chase things and we try to prove either our dad wrong. Maybe our dad said, hey, you'll never amount to anything. And so we live our lives trying to prove our dad wrong. Or maybe we're just chasing after some, some type of success or some metric that would say, like, now dad's going to be proud of me. But the problem is, for many of us, that never comes and will never come. And, and, and we don't have to chase that anymore. We can live under God's blessing, the heavenly father that says, I love you. I'm proud of you. I think you're doing great. Keep going. You see, here, here's a truth of of scripture is that, that, that identities are not found. We don't have to chase them anymore. Our identity is given by God. You know, you hear this all the time in our culture, like, I gotta go find myself, right? I gotta go over to India and, and have just some quiet time and I gotta find myself, I gotta connect it to, to who I am. And it's like, that's just a, a load of bunk. It's like, you don't have to find yourself. God has already established and said who you are. Now you just have to live from that place. Stop searching for something you already possess. Number two, living in the truest you means that your self-worth comes from being God's creation. Let me say that again. Living in the truest you means that your self-worth comes from being God's creation. I love what Soren Kierkegaard said. He says that sin is building your self-worth on anything other than God. And yet we do that, don't we? We, we try to build our self-worth on our accomplishments or trying to be a good person or, 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 or saying positive statements to ourselves. You know, it's the whole self-esteem movement, right? It's like if I just, you, how many of you remember Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live? Do you remember that little sketch where he, he turned to the mirror and he'd look at himself and he goes, I'm good enough I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. And just, you know, these daily affirmations. If I just say, you know, that I'm valuable and worthy and say that over and over again, that all of a sudden I will feel better about myself, that I'll have self-worth. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. That's fine. I think you should be encouraging uh, to yourself and, it's, and those are, are fine things to do. But it's, it's very superficial in terms of our true value because what the scriptures say is that your value, your self-worth, your self-esteem should come from knowing that you are God's creation, that you're a part of his family. That's where your worth should come from. Yet so many of us struggle with this, uh, these negative thoughts about ourselves. And, and so we have sort of the self-esteem movement on one side where you say, hey, just you're awesome all the time and everybody gets a trophy and, and you know, sort of this Oprah uh, thing that's going on in our culture, like that's one, one side of it. And then on the other side of it is what I would call the cult of self-loathing. And a lot of us are members of this cult, by the way. And this is where we have sort of these negative messages happening in our mind over and over again, where we're, where we're critical and condemning of everything about ourselves. Where we say things to ourselves that we would never, ever say to somebody else. And we just need to stop that. Because there is nothing holy or spiritual or godly about beating yourself up. There just isn't. So stop it. 
sort of like this. I don't know if you, uh, if you remember these, but this is a, a mixtape. And, and I'm a child of the 80s, and I used to make mixtapes all the time. And, and uh, for, for some, some of you in the room, I know you're going like, what the heck is that? Well, um, this is sort of like an 80s version of an iPod, all right? And the, the only difference with these guys, though, is that when, when your mixtape breaks, you don't take it down to the, the Apple Genius bar. No, no, no. When your, your mixtape breaks, you just uh, get out one of these little bad boys, right? <laughs> Stick that in there, and boom, you're good to go. We don't need no Apple Genius bar for that. So I used to, when I was a kid, I used to make these mixtapes and load up all my favorite songs by, you know, my favorite artists like Bon Jovi and, you know, uh, Duran Duran and Madonna. Some of you are going, who are these people? No, they used to be famous. Uh, by the way, Bon Jovi, one of the greatest lyricists ever to walk the face of the planet. I mean, who, who else could have come up with lyrics like this? Shot through the heart and you're to blame. Darling, you give love. A bad name. I mean, that is just poetic genius right there. So I used to, you know, load up Bon Jovi songs and Duran Duran songs on my mixtape, and I would play it over and over and over again. I literally would wear the tape out. And so I realized we don't have mixtapes like this anymore, but, but we do have mixtapes that are playing in our head, in our heart. And they're not filled with Bon Jovi songs. They're played with, filled with negative messages Negative messages that are condemning and hurtful. Messages that remind us of our past or things that we're embarrassed about in our story or our history. We play those things over and over again. Maybe your mixtape is filled with regret. And let me just just remind you that 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 negative mixtape, every lyric, every melody, every note, every chorus on that negative mixtape was recorded in a state-of-the-art studio in the pit of hell by your enemy. And you need to stop playing that tape. And you need to let God's grace and mercy and compassion play in your head and your heart. And live from that place and that truth that you are his beloved. I love what the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, no matter what your history looks like, no matter what your struggles might have been, the addiction, the divorce, the affair, whatever your story looks like, God says that in him we are new. We are tr- completely transformed. It's, it's not just like a little bit better you. It's not just a little less sinful you. It's not just a, a you 2.0. It's a completely transformed person when we are in Christ. Live in the truest you means that your self-worth comes from being God's creation and nothing else, no matter what that mixtape says, no matter what your critics might say about you, listen to the voice of God and and let your value come from being his creation. And then finally, living in the truest you means means that we're using our not-so-perfect story to help others. We're using our not-so-perfect story to help others. It means that we embrace the messy parts of our life, that we don't have to be ashamed of it, because part of living from the core of who you are means that you're, you're living under God's grace 
and his mercy and the fact that you are a new you, that you are his beloved, that you are the, the prince and princesses of an almighty king, that you're the sons and daughters of a heavenly father. Like that is the true place that we live so we don't have to worry so much about how messy our, our stories are and that we aren't perfect. None of us are that all of us need grace. And yet, I think so often we're embarrassed about our story. Or there's certain things, certain chapters of our life that we just go, man, God, I don't see how you could use that. I don't see how that matters. I'm just gonna go ahead and put that away in this little closet. Nobody's gonna ever see this part of my life. It's too embarrassing. It's, I have too many regrets about that. And yet what God wants to say is like, pull that stuff out, Okay that not so perfect stuff, like pull it out because I am in the redemption business. I am in the business of taking broken things and making them beautiful again. Don't, don't hide those, those, those points, those, those things that we, we, we don't like, like that addiction or, or that, that time where we, we just made some really poor choices in our, our business or, or maybe we, we had, a, had a very difficult uh, marriage and we, we, we ended the marriage and, or maybe we've had an eating disorder or whatever the thing is, I, I encourage you, I, I ask you to please bring that into the open and let grace flood all over it and let God use it to help the world. And here's how he does it. See, your story, your not-so-perfect story, is your unfair advantage in the world. See, I don't have your story. I have my story. And my story is unique and there's different things that have happened in my life. Like almost in every decade of my life, I've hit a rock bottom. Crashed. Bottom out. You know, whether it was uh, it's time where I almost went to jail for a, a crime I committed to losing a business to um, being betrayed by a friend in a very significant way. Like, there's been moments in my story where I was like, man, I just wish that stuff didn't happen, and I just wish, I don't want to even think about that anymore. But you know what's, what's so true about those moments, like the low points, the rock-bottom experiences? The beautiful thing about that is now when I am talking with people and counseling people and, and, and walking with people through difficult times in their life, I can use that stuff to encourage them. So, so let me give you an example. It's like imagine maybe you, you had uh, struggled with alcoholism and maybe you, you, blew, you, 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 you blew your life through a, a drinking uh, through a bottle and, and you, were, you, you, you blew up your marriage and you blew up your relationship with your kids and you, you lost your career and all because of your alcoholism. And then you know, for five years you struggle with that and, and your life was just a mess. And then you found God and then maybe you got into an AA program. You've in, been in recovery and been clean and sober now for 10 years. And all of a sudden, God puts you in your path, in the exact path of another friend of yours. You guys are sitting at Starbucks and he shares with you that he's two days now into his own sobriety. You guys have something to talk about, don't you? Maybe, maybe it was an eating disorder or a, a relationship problem or some type of storm that you've gone through. Whatever that looks like. Man, when, when we come across people who are going through the same things, we have something to say. We have some truth to speak into that moment. Your not-so-perfect story is meant to help others. And some of you might be saying right now, well, Mike, you know, I'm looking at my story and I, I don't see anything good about it. I don't see anything lovely. I don't see anything redemptive about it. I don't see how God 
could, could ever use this to help people. Well, let me just say, stop thinking like, like a human being and start letting God get into that space. I think a great example of this was uh, when I worked at Olive Garden. And it was one of my first jobs. I heard somebody say yes to Gar- Olive Garden. I, God bless you. Like, <laughs> all right. So I was working at the Olive Garden. My, my first job, I was making minimum wage. And, and the very first thing they had me do, like it's the lowest of the low on the total organizational structure at Olive Garden, was I was the guy who was responsible for opening the door as you walked into the Olive Garden. Now, I realize they don't do this anymore. There's been cut, uh, they've cut costs and they have eliminated my position. But, but back in the day, when, when I was working at Olive Garden, I would open the door and say, welcome to Olive Garden, uh, a fine Italian establishment, and, and just kind of greet them and smile at them. And, and uh, they would come in and it's sort of like first class service in a third class restaurant, right? And so, <laughs> no, we love our Olive Garden, we do. Um, so, they, so I'd open the door for them. And I just kind of, you know, my boss was a jerk. The manager was kind of mean and, and angry. And I, I'm making minimum wage and I'm opening a door for people at the Olive Garden. I'm thinking like, I, I'm better than this. I know I, I can move up in this organization. I, I got some skills. You know, I, I, I need to become a busboy or a waiter because I could totally do that. And I can make some real tips and some real money doing that. And I, I'm just sort of waiting for them to recognize this. And finally, after about two to three months of, of me opening up this door, the manager came to me and I, I, I said, okay, this is my moment. He goes, hey, Mike, I have a new position for you. I'm like, what? So, and I'm, I'm just thinking in my head, like, okay, this is the moment. I get to become a busboy, a waiter. Like, they finally have seen my true talent. He goes, Mike, we, we have created this new position in the restaurant where we're gonna have this little pizza area here in the lobby and what we want you to do is we want you to be the, the chef of that little area. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't really cook. He's like, no, no, you don't have to really know how to cook or anything. You just have to wear this Chef Boyardee costume and sort of pretend like you're, you're an Italian. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is, in fact, let me show you what I looked like wearing this costume. Like, this is, this is a picture of me, Okay. Not a true picture, but this is basically what the costume looked like. I had to wear this big white floppy hat, the little red scarf around my, my neck, and, and pretend like I'm Italian. And it's like my friends from high school would come in, and, and they would totally laugh and mock me and make fun of me. And like, this was degrading. I hated it. Jerky manager, minimum wage, now wearing this ridiculous costume. But in the midst of all of that, there was this one absolutely amazing thing about working at Olive Garden. You see, during my break, I would walk into the kitchen, turn it hard left, and there would be this stainless steel warmer that had all these, well, had all of these beautiful things in them, <laughs> right? Oh, yes, the Olive Garden breadstick. And, and so I would, I'd open up that drawer and I could eat all the breadsticks. I, I literally, on a typical shift, I could probably down 20 to 25 of these things. <laughs> but it was awesome. The breadsticks were awesome and amazing. And even in the midst of this cruddy job, no, no future, wearing a ridiculous costume, there were breadsticks. Here's my point. No matter what your story looks like, no matter how like terrible you think it is, no matter how like you know embarrassing it might be, no matter what you like how dark it is, there 
is a breadstick in the middle of it. There is something good, something to be grateful for, some truth, some, some source of light that we can grab onto and use it for God's kingdom. And so the challenge for us today is to find your breadstick. Go back into your story. Maybe you're living your story right now. You're walking through a very difficult season. You're in the valley right now. Find your breadstick. And know that God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste any hurt. He doesn't waste any struggle. He doesn't waste any trial. He's just like creating breadsticks all over the place. And he's just go, guys, grab hold of them. Because I'm going to do something really beautiful. Find your breadstick. What does it look like in your life? Your story. The thing that you thought was a waste, maybe there's a breadstick waiting for you. I uh, guess the call for all of us is just to live as a truest you, to live as made in the image of God, to know that you are the beloved, that, that God is not disappointed with you, that he, that he loves you, that he is pleased with you. That, that living in the truest you means that we can live as who we are, to be fully you. It means that our self-worth, our value, doesn't come from the world, doesn't come from our accomplishments. It comes from the fact that we are part of God's family and that we are created by him. And then finally, living in the truest you, living from the core means that we use our not-so-perfect story to help others. I'm done. I'm uh, done with the message. Uh, yeah, you can clap. That's fine. <laughs> So before I, uh, before I finish, I, I just want to share with you something that we do at our ministry and just an opportunity for you uh, to be a part of people of the second chance. And this is like the full-on infomercial version of, of my message. So just get ready. If you hate infomercials, you can just click the channel right now. But I think you might be interested in this. So we, uh, we work in 52 different prisons across America right now. And going into what we just consider to be one of the most hopeless, dark, darkest places in the nation. And if you want to find people who think their life is over, who believe that everybody has abandoned them, everybody has given up on them, well, just go to a, a prison and you'll find those people. And so what we're doing is, is going in and bringing really just a message that, that second chances are real, that uh, new beginnings are real. And so uh, this morning, you're going to have the opportunity. Uh, we have these little things called care kits. And for 35 bucks, this is how it works. You get this kit, and inside the kit, let me actually show you what's inside this kit. For, number one, you get this amazing brown box, okay, for 35 bucks. And uh, you get this little uh, pocket journal that says, let every soul belong and beloved. You get a people of second chance sticker, which is really cool. You put that on your car, and if you don't want to put it on your car, you can just put it on your neighbor's car. They won't mind. Um, this little... Uh, monthly sponsorship thing. If you're interested in that, we do monthly sponsorship. And then you get a copy of uh, my new book, Freeway, which you'll love. I mean, this is, the, it's almost as good as the Bible. I'll just put it out. That, I mean, it's that good. That's a joke, by the way. Though it is pretty good. Um, and then finally, you get a copy of uh, our, our New Testament that we bring to prisoners. And this is just a story of broken things made beautiful. It's the NIV. It reads at a seventh grade level. And so when you buy all this stuff, like you take all this stuff home with you today for 35 bucks. But what that does, it allows us to, 
to bring a, a New Testament and a workbook to a prisoner. So every kit that you buy, we're able to then fund one Bible and uh, a one workbook. And so uh, I just would encourage you to uh, check that out. Our, our goal for this morning is to have 100 inmates sponsored. And I think we can do that. There's, there's enough people in here where we could just say, re- remind people that, that Influence Church loves them and believes in second chances. You know, here's an interesting stat I just heard a few, uh, few weeks ago that um, 10,000 inmates are released every week back into, the, back into society. And you, do you realize that almost nothing is being done to change their lives? So 10,000 every week, back into society, and we want to do something to, to redirect them life, their life. We want to do something that, that gets them on a different course. We want to introduce them to the God of second chances. And so uh, this morning, I pray that you would join us. It's 35 bucks. You get all that fun stuff. That allows us to do the Bible and the workbook. We take check, credit cards, cash, and gold bars if you want to pay in gold bars. So let me close in prayer and uh, just bow your heads. God, thank you so much for loving us, for letting us just live out our purpose and meaning that you have for our lives. And, and God, I pray that, that all the voices out there in our society that, that say to live a certain way, that we could just ignore those voices. That God, we just live from the place of knowing that we are loved, that we are part of your family. And God, I pray that uh, we just, just are always sensing that that over us in every moment is glory and honor and your love. And God, that you are speaking to us, saying that you are pleased, that we are your children, that we are loved by you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for radical grace and new beginnings. We love you. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's all thank my.